Hey, it's Glenn from Made by Folk here. Yeah, you heard right. I it's a long story. I'll have to do a whole podcast just on what's been happening, what's made by folk, what's happening to Farm Fifty Five, but uh, that'll have to be a separate episode. Because in the meantime, uh, I've been back in Berlin and had the pleasure of hanging around with Patrick Thomas. He took the time to answer a ton of my questions. And I think you'll really enjoy this episode. And we filmed a really nice little video that you can now go and see at madebyfolk.com. Don't worry, if you go to form55.com, we'll redirect you there. Anyway, in the video, you'll be able to have a look around Patrick's studio, see a little bit of Neukölln in Berlin. And we also go to some really interesting exhibitions and some really cool places. So if you've got five minutes during your lunch break, go and check it out. But enough from me. Let's go on with this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Walking down, burning up. I look at you and light it up. Hello, Patrick. Hi. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me. Maybe for those who have never come across your work, you could give us a quick introduction to who you are and what you do. I am Patrick Thomas. I'm a graphic artist originally from the UK. I'm based in Berlin and I arrived here via many other different places, but probably the most important was Barcelona. My background is in commercial art, so design, illustration. I studied graphic design at St. Martin's School of Art. I then went on to the Royal College of Art to do a master's degree in illustration, where I got very interested in printmaking. And since my student days, I've always uh, published my own work. I've continued making my own work. And these days, I'm dedicating more and more time to that aspect of my practice. Maybe you could briefly describe where we are today. Where are we sitting? Well, we are actually in the, the nerve center of my studio in, in, um, in Neukölln in Berlin. We're in the exposure room where I burn images onto the silt screens and... It is very messy in here. It's not that bad. It's a, it's a nice little room. It's great that you actually have a separate space to be able to do this in your studio. It's kind of important because um, I have other people drop in, drop out of the studio. Um, and I need a space where I can sort of retire to and do my, do my own thing, do my own thinking and make my own mess without interfering too much and bothering other people. So what brought you to Berlin in the first place? Um, I was in Barcelona actually for 20 years from 91 till 2011, 10, 11. And towards the end of that time, um, the recession was obviously very bad over there. It really hit the art world. Um, I was selling my work and making my money elsewhere. So it kind of seemed like I'd, I'd, I wasn't tied to Barcelona. And um, having heard for my entire life so much about Berlin, I thought I'd better get over here and have a look. And I didn't know what to expect, but I knew immediately when I arrived that, that I needed to spend quite a lot of time here. When you got here, what made you figure out well, this is a place that. How long have you been? How, how long have you been living here now? Uh, I I I used to come back and forth from Barcelona in the in the early two thousand nine two thousand ten. By Christmas two thousand ten, I decided that I'd I'd better look for an apartment because I was spending more and more time here, and I've kind of lived here. I've been based here more or less unbroken since then. I've I've still got the studio in Barcelona, 
I travel a lot, but I'd say I'm, I'm spending 60% of my time here. And what made you fall in love with a city that, that kept you here? Not the weather. Actually, in, in a funny sort of way, it, it, the weather was an important factor. Um, because in Barcelona, I'm not good in the sun, actually. I'm not really a beach kind of guy. So I have no idea how I ended up in Spain for 20 years. I think everybody was convinced that I was just hanging out on the beach all day, but it's not true. I probably went three times uh, in the 20 years I was there. So yeah, the, the allure of grey northern European skies was very appealing, actually, after 20 years of sunshine, avoiding the sun. It just seemed to make um, a lot of sense. But the main thing that attracted me, or the, the, what most impressed me when I arrived here um, eight, nine years ago, was the fact that it's obviously it's a very cheap city. It's a great place to make art. You can, you can buy, you know, you can get a you can get hold of a decent sized studio for you know, comparatively um, not too much money. But I was very intrigued by the youthfulness of the city, actually. It felt very, very young because it's cheap. Um, it's drawn in a whole generation of very young creatives. And I kind of wanted to tap into that energy somehow. So for, for someone who might not have come across your work yet, yeah. can you, I know this is a painful uh, exercise, but... Can you try and describe your work to someone who's, who's never come across it? Okay, if you, if you were, uh... the short version. Um, I work where the digital and the analog collide, I suppose. Um, I'm, I'm kind of best known for my, my printmaking, I suppose. I'm very interested in reaching people, accessibility through my work. So I put out a lot of editions. I make it as affordable as possible and I try and reach people that way. Um, and in recent years, those of you who are following my work will, will have noticed that there is a, a shift towards motion, a lot more motion graphics creeping in. But at the same time, I'm still retaining the energy or the, the, the aesthetic of, of printed analog, traditional print work. Do you feel that, I'll, I'll summarise it as the internet, not just social media, but the internet as a whole. Do you feel that that has had an influence on, on your work as well as just how you present your work and, and, and how you connect with your audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I consider myself very lucky because when I started out, um, it was a decade before the internet. It was in the early 80s in Liverpool and there was that digital was not on the menu, was very definitely not on the menu. If you wanted something, you had to paint it, you had to take out a, a camera and spend a week in a darkroom. Uh, you know, this instant sort of gratification was not an option. And I, I say I consider myself very lucky because when I, when I graduated, um, soon after that, the internet kicked in. And I was just caught up in, the, again, this collision between two different worlds. And I've, I've spent the subsequent 20 years trying to figure out how best to kind of play uh, the opportunities that both worlds present you. Where do you find your motivation? Like what m motivates you to, to keep creating new things and to, to keep doing what you're doing? Um, it's play. I mean, I know it's, it's become a cliche, this, but it, it, it's very true in my case. I can't really stop. It's just something that happens. I'm not very good at many other things, but um, I'm lucky in that I'm, I think I've found a niche where I can operate and sort of satisfy myself and it's through my work so you feel like by just experimenting that the, the experimentation itself is actually what motivates you to experiment more yeah yeah you've nailed it yeah. 
That was a good answer, wasn't it? <laughs> so you've lived in, in uh, you obviously grew up in the UK, yeah. uh, lived a long time in Spain, and now a long time in Germany. I, I, was, I witnessed your excellent Spanish today for the first time. Muchas gracias. <laughs> so do you feel that, since you've traveled so much, do you feel that your surroundings influence you a lot? Do, have, you, have you noticed... A sh like a shift in your work every time you, you, you change your location? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, the way... I, I'm intrigued by the fact... The, the way that other people perceive my work. This is something that from within side you cannot, you cannot understand. I, I don't think I certainly can't. Um, but it's kind of proven that my work is better received somehow in the UK for example, than in other parts of the world. I was in Spain for 20 years. I don't know if they particularly got it. Um, I sell a lot of work through art, art galleries and art museums in Spain. And whenever the work was sold, I would ask for feedback or my assistant would, would ask for feedback. And it was invariably um, people from the UK who were sort of picking up on it. What do you think the, the reason for that might be? Do you think it could have to do with the way you promote your work, that you obviously promote your work in English, your, your, your native tongue, mm. that that might just make it more accessible to a British audience or... Um... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one, Glenn, really. I, 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 I can't entirely... Because you've not lived in the UK for so long. I've been out of the UK. I mean, ironically, in the UK, they don't really know who I am either, which is uh, sort of interesting. I'm, I'm always a stranger wherever I am. I'm always the outsider. And I, I quite like that role, actually. I quite like that position. But yeah, getting back to the UK thing or the, the context, you know, where I'm making the work, obviously it feeds into the work. I, I'm a great believer in, in working with, you know, what you find around you, things, materials, ideas that sort of cross your path as you walk around whichever city you're in. So it's sort of feeding into it. But I guess by the time it's gone through the Patrick Thomas filter, I'm, I'm somehow outputting it in a kind of UK-friendly way or, or something. It's, it's very, it really mystifies me. Can you, can you remember like, what was the first contact you had with, with art or design? So back in Liverpool, yeah. I mean, again, it's sort of become a, uh, become a bit of a cliche now. But um, as many creators uh, from my generation will tell you, we got into uh, via music. Uh, it was in the early 80s. Liverpool was one of the big music uh, capitals of, the nor of northern England. Um, I was in a band and I spent a lot of time going to live concerts, consuming, so record packaging was obviously very important, gig posters, tickets, etc., etc. And it was very important for me. This was very important input for me because when I was taught on my foundation course in Liverpool, Eventually, at the end of my year, when I had to tick the, or decide between art and design, um, I ticked the design box because it was, I felt like it was, somehow it was, there was just more of an allure there, the, you know, the unknown was very appealing to me. of bridge the gap because your work has a very graphic and almost a designed quality and 
but you're mostly self-commissioned or like most of the work you do is of of your own motivation yeah where do you where do you see the where do you fit in when you it's great i love this because i don't really obviously designers to designers i'm the arty guy and to artists i'm the design guy so I'm right in the middle of this sort of grey area where, where I love to be. And it's where I've always been, actually. I, I don't think that I've changed. I think that the industry has changed. It's caught up with me. Um, but then again, I don't, I don't think you do deliberately set out and decide that you're going to occupy a certain area. I think they're just things that are you know, inherently sort of built into your work and you just sort of settle down wherever's uh, kind of right for you. But right now... Um, I don't like being, and it's incorrect to call me um, a designer because I, don't, I do very little commercial work. And artist, I feel uncomfortable with artist as well. So I, I've sort of come up with graphic artist, which is, sounds like a, a little bit pretentious, I, I guess. But it, it seems to sort of... It definitely seems to describe your work best. I think it fits... Until something better comes along. Okay. But quite honestly, I'm not... I really don't obsess about these things, you know. I I think in the same way that I might perceive things to be art that, you know, maybe you wouldn't. I don't think we should... um, In 2018, I really don't think we should waste too much time worrying about this. True. I shouldn't read too much of a distinction. It can kind of all blend into each other. All right. Was there a point where you felt comfortable and confident to call yourself a graphic artist as you as you say which well you know like i think a lot of people especially when 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 they're young worry about am i good enough and where am i going with this i think everyone kind of has to go through that stage i've never really worried about whether or not i'm good enough i'm not too good i'm not (laughs) you're always confident well i i don't know i just didn't i worried about other things i guess um but it was when i stopped doing commercial work and decided to concentrate 100% on my own work, that I felt that I'd earned that title, as it were, graphic artist. So do you still take on some uh, commissioned work occasionally? or I get a lot of requests. My problem is time is always a bit of an issue because I teach these days as well. I travel a hell of a lot, and I'm kind of busy with my own thing. Um, having said that, since moving to Berlin, I've started to sort of... Um, well, I've put together a, a, a collective of ex-students of mine and other collaborators. The idea being that we, if the right project comes along, we would consider working on it. Or we meet, we talk about it, and then we decide whether or not we, we're going to um, get involved with it. And I'm, again, I'm the outsider in that team. I'm sort of overviewing the whole thing, but I, I'm not like an integral uh, part of it. But very happy for commercial work to happen alongside my own work in the studio. I don't have any problem with that at all. You briefly touched on teaching there. You're a professor at the, uh, of visual communication at Stuttgart's State Academy of Art and Design. What have you learned from your experience in education? Well, I've always taught. Um, over the years in, in, in Barcelona, I taught at most of the design schools, not as committed as I am now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a regular teaching every, every week down in Stuttgart. I'm loving it. I'm finding that it's very different, actually, the work that's happening in Germany. It's very different to the work that I was used to in the UK and in Spain. I'm also very aware of the fact that we cannot teach the way that we were taught. I think everything has really changed a hell of a lot. And um, we now have to work together, actually. In, in, In many ways, a lot of the teaching has become quite collaborative. 
I will put a project on the table and then I will sort of guide people in the right direction. But this sort of passing down of sacred information over the years, I, I think that's no longer relevant. In the same way that the term graphic design is, no, is obsolete, it's about visual communication with audio, actually. I'm having a big drive for, you know, towards motion graphics, coding, processing, but at the same time carrying the torch for the traditional processes. So it's a very exciting time. As I say, where everything collides, that is where I'm operating and that's where I'm trying to um, point my, my students towards. When you're not in the studio or in this little space exposing screens, what do you do to get away from work and switch off? I'm not very good at switching off, actually. Um, I'm very lucky in that through my work, I, I get invited to give talks all over the place. So I'm constantly traveling. And I'd like to try and fool myself that I'm having a bit of a break while I am traveling, which isn't necessarily true. But um, as far as switching off, switching off, I don't know, a film, you know, I go to the cinema quite a bit. Exhibitions. I mean, we've just been to the Eduardo Paolozzi exhibition at the Berlinisches Gallery here in Berlin. I will try and, you know, see as much as I can wherever I am in, in which, whichever city I'm currently in. It was really nice going to that exhibition. Um, it would be nice for you you to maybe tell our listeners what role Eduardo Paolozzi played in your, was it during your university years that you first came into contact with him as a tutor? Yeah, I was, basically I was unaware of Paolozzi until I moved down to London. And then at St. Martin's School of Art, in my second year, uh, there was this incredible exhibition at the Museum of Mankind which I don't know if it still exists, but it was a part of the British Museum, called Lost Magic Kingdoms. And basically, Eduardo Paolozzi curated, had, had, he was given access to the British Museum archives, and he'd raked through the archives, and he pulled out you know, low culture, high culture, and he combined it and decontextualized stuff, put stuff together, and he, he put up this groundbreaking and very, very influential um, exhibition that caught me, as I say, in my second year at St. Martin's. It blew me away, and I was then very, very interested to find out more about the guy. And the more I found out about Paolozzi, the more I realised that we were actually surrounded by his work. For example, the Tottenham Court Road tube station in London opened the year before I started at St. Martin's, and I was using his artwork as my local tube station. It's an absolutely wonderful sort of functioning piece of art. And Palozzi, he taught me liberation, actually. You know, the fact that you can really work cross-disciplined in, in many, many different areas. At the time I was studying, I, I got the impression that we were all being pigeonholed. I was like the sort of illustrator kind of guy. And I looked towards Palozzi for some sort of, for freedom, actually. And he showed that it's completely possible. Um, and he worked, as, as you may or not, may not know, he, he worked between sculpture printmaking, animation, textiles, ceramics. He curated, he did absolutely everything. If, if anybody deserves the term multimedia artist, it is Eduardo is your man. But he, very early on, he sort of got into the collaborative um, approach to, to his work. And this is something that's obviously very, very relevant now. That is something that's kind of big at the moment. So again, um, amongst a million other things, he really anticipated that. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to see his work today in the exhibition and how much of it feels very relevant today. 
uh, how many of his prints, which I wasn't very aware of. I was very aware of his sculptural work. Yeah. But his prints, the the especially the vibrantly colorful ones, they seem very very now like they're very modern for the fact they were printed in the early 60s did you say or was it more the 70s that he was getting into by the 70s he he always felt very uncomfortable with the term um, pop art uh, pop artist although he is considered to be one of the pioneers of british pop art um, but by the 70s he'd sort of stopped all of that bright sort of poppy stuff I think most of those are actually from the late 50s or mid, mid, to, mid to late 50s into the 60s. That makes him even more impressive. Like, I think um, they've, they've aged incredibly well. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he was a complete nightmare um, for the poor printmaker whose turn it was to produce the work because he was very restless. And when he was on press, he would, uh, you know, quite spontaneously decide to sort of just play around with colour uh, combinations and things in quite a, in a very spontaneous way. So it, it must have been a bit of a nightmare. Where, 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 whereas, and I mean that in a good way, um, whereas you would normally, you know, set up your edition and like bang out a couple of hundred or whatever, he, he would individually, he, he would change, tweak the colours on each print. Yeah, a lot of the prints we saw today had like 10, ten colours. Um, so that would have been tricky if he was meddling in the process along the way. <laughs> It's also, I mean, it's also really exciting. Um, some of the work that, that, that most surprised me um, at, at the, um, the Berlinisher's gallery was the animated, the very, very early animations. I was completely unaware of this work. Um, and again, I, I'm finding them very, very, uh, very satisfying watching them. And um, although it's very, very low tech, it, it completely coincides with something that I've gravitated towards. Um, and of course, this amazing story that a mural has been unearthed in West Berlin. A building was being pulled down and suddenly a, a lost Paolozzi mural that he put up in the early 80s appeared. And it's there. You can stand, out, you can stand uh, across the street in, in Kurfürstenstrasse in, in, in Charlottenburg and watch this Paolozzi as it's come back. To, it's just come back from the dead. It's a wonderful, wonderful moment. Coming back briefly to commissioned work, what, what I sometimes ask uh, traditional designers is what's like your, your dream job to be commissioned for? It'd be quite interesting to hear from you. What would what would have to come along for you to say, that sounds pretty interesting. Like, what, what would be a dream job to you? Do you know, I get asked this a lot, and I've, yeah. I've never come up with a convincing answer. <laughs> I always think of exhibit, I exhibit a lot all over the place. Um, I tell you what would make me very happy, that, that would be to exhibit in my hometown, actually, of Liverpool, in, a, in any sort of a space. It could be a commercial shopping space, it could be a museum, it could be apps, it could be on the streets, it could be anywhere. That, that, that's sort of high on my list of things to do. That seems very achievable, you're having an exhibition in your hometown. Like, it's nice that you... It's not very ambitious, is it? <laughs> but isn't it good to, to find something that, you could, that could actually happen, rather than something that's completely well, I mean, impossible? Yeah, I mean, followed by, closely followed by Liverpool is obviously a retrospective at the Guggenheim in, uh, in New York. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, I have a very loose question that I yeah. usually throw at the end, and that's what makes you happy? God. I love working with people who are really good at what they do, actually. Especially people who I can directly relate to. So other fellow printmakers. And there's this wonderful studio in, 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 um, nearby, actually, in Kreuzberg, called Hansibdruckerei. And these guys, it's like a print studio, and these guys develop their own inks and papers. And they're just absolutely passionate and dedicated and incredibly smart with their, with their work. I, I love going around to their space and watching them put stuff together. It makes me feel very inadequate and quite ignorant, um, but it's a complete and utter privilege to be able to watch them at work. That makes me happy. Family aside, uh, what else makes me happy? I like just walking around, actually. I mean, you, you touched on the, the, the type collage, the Berlin street graphics thing a little bit earlier on. I used to bomb around cities on a bike when I was a student, or just after I graduated, I ended up being a, a dispatch rider in London. So speed, it was always about speed when I was younger. Now I'm really enjoying slowing down, walking and observing. Um, that makes me happy. I like, I like just to walk around the block, actually. Definitely. I can, uh, I can totally agree with that. Finding beauty in the, in the ordinary. Appreciating your immediate surroundings makes me very happy. And that includes people as well. So earlier we took a walk around, um, you have to remind me of the name of the place. Oh, um, sorry, Britannian, Kunstkotier Britannian. And this place, you had this amazing story that you told me about you fir that, like, the first time you came to Berlin, staying in a flat and seeing this building across uh, the road and thinking, that looks interesting, I wonder what's in there. Yeah, completely by chance. It, it was on my, so it was 2009, I guess, uh, my first visit to Berlin. Bitterly cold winter, and um, by chance I, I, I booked, I rented an apartment uh, in Marienenplatz, in, in, in the heart of Kreuzberg. I knew a little bit about Kreuzberg, about the history, but I didn't know too much more about it. And um, on the first morning, I ventured outside into the icy street and glanced across the park and saw this beautiful sort of neo-Gothic building and wondered what on earth kind of happened inside it. So I asked the locals, no, nobody could really you know, fill me in. So on, I think on my penultimate day, I, I plucked up the courage and I, I crossed the park and walked inside and I discovered this incredible um, project. Basically, it, it, it works almost like a, like a cooperative, like a sort of workshop cooperative thing. And what really drew me towards it, um, towards it was the fact that there is a whole wing of this building that is dedicated to editioning. Okay, so using traditional print processes, etching, uh, wood cutting, relief printing, stone, litho, alongside a digital suite, alongside a silkscreen studio. So this idea that you could combine, cross-combine processes, I found, it, I, I found it very, very exciting. And there and then I, I kind of decided that I had to spend time in, in Berlin. What an amazing coincidence to stumble over a place like that when, when you're, you're just sort of exploring the city for the yeah. first time. Well, I'm slightly pissed off that nobody had told me about it. Actually, <laughs> I mean, most people know that I'm a very passionate printmaker. Um, but I, I, I love the way that it just sort of fell out of the heavens. And, and it kind of, uh, the fact that I discovered it to myself maybe 
may me makes it more special to you yeah. you know it's like a thing that you found yourself there's another story and it and i and again it relates to paolozzi soon after so i i then i moved back to 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 berlin i got an apartment again in kreuzberg nearby to kunstkotia britannian i block booked as many days as were available and i kind of set up shop there started to produce quite a lot of work over lunch one day there, they, we, Paolo, Eduardo Paolozzi came up in conversation and it turned out that he'd been in Berlin in the mid-70s on a scholarship um, paid by the German government. Um, and he was, he'd been working down the road from, from Britannia. So again, an another uh, coincidence. And Paolozzi refers to it as his most prolific and one of his happiest years. So I kind of felt like I was... <laughs> Is there something that you feel you're most proud of? Proud? I'm, I'm not really a proud kind of guy, I don't think. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased with the fact that the, the additions, uh, I've, I, it feels like I've I reached quite a, lot, quite a few people with my work. I've exhibited across five continents, which is nice. I've put out somewhere in the region of 200 editions, uh, usually quite large editions of 100, between 50 and 250, something like that. So... I can't do the math, but I guess there are 20,000 Patrick Thomases out there somewhere. That's not bad. That feels nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, as I say, proud probably isn't the right word, but I guess satis it gives me a certain amount of satisfaction. What's next on your, on your calendar? What's, what's coming up? Lots and lots of travelling. I'm going on a mini tour of the UK actually next week, which I'm very excited about. I'm just back from Manchester School of Art, which was wonderful. And I'm heading off to... Last week I gave a talk in Munich. And on Tuesday, I head back to the north of England, to Liverpool, to Chester, to Birmingham, to Bath, to Norwich, to Brighton, and to London. And then further ahead, I'm giving talks in St. Petersburg in Russia. I'm giving a talk and an exhibition in Serbia, which I'm very, very happy about. Very excited about having never been there before. Uh, and also in Mexico. I've got something coming up in Mexico in the autumn. Apart from that, I'm, I'm working on a new book for Lawrence King, my publisher in the UK. I've got two books in the pipeline. There's talk of a residency in, in, in Rome, but I don't want to talk too much about that in case it doesn't happen. And then just the usual, the usual stuff. Everything else seems to be ticking over, so I need something to kind of complicate things a little bit more. Something, something, to, something to keep me awake at night to worry about. What's the best place where someone could go to see some more of your work? Instagram. I think it's the, it's the most exciting platform for us guys, actually, visual communicators. Um, especially since you can now post, you know, 60-second uh, videos and things with audio. This is a very, very exciting opportunity. The three main, account, main accounts are my, my personal account, Ex Patrick Thomas, and there I don't. I definitely don't show a portfolio of final work. I mean, maybe one in twenty you'll see an edition. That I, I'm not trying to like flog stuff, you know, on, on Instagram. I'm not. I'm not really about that. But I, I'm more sort of trying to show people, you know, under the bonnet how things run at the studio. And I, th I think that might explain why um, there's been a certain amount of interest in it. I'm sort of trying to demystify what I do a little bit. The second account, which we touched on earlier, is Berlin Street Graphics, which I'm describing as typographic fragments uh, that I've sort of stumbled across on the streets of Berlin, just kind of mapping a moment in time. And the third one is Patrick Thomas Studio, where I will be showing, if you've enjoyed this, you, you can have a look at other stuff that we get, we get up to in the studio.
Patrick Thomas, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you very much, Glenn. It's been a pleasure. You said you're coming on from the southwest, telling the time, time. Find out more about Patrick Thomas, his work, and see his studio in Berlin, head over to madebyfolk.com. I have to give a big shout out to Mammal Sounds, who keep providing us with really top quality music. The track you heard throughout this episode is by Emerson Leaf and Golden Vessel, and it's called Hesitate. You'll find a link to it in the notes or on our website. I'm